Thank you very much. And for those of you that attended the uh, function last night at the museum, thank you. Uh, we had a great time, and we're making that facility available for things such as that. So keep that in mind if you're from Bozeman or the area and you need to do uh, something like that. Uh, Nelson Story, uh, a very interesting character. And uh, uh, you could, it would take three days to tell all the stories about Nelson Story, which, of course, we don't have. Nelson Story was born in Birmingham. Can everybody hear me all right? OK, because we don't have a mic. I uh, was born in Burlingham, Bedford Township, Meeks County, Ohio, on April 4th, 1838. And where, where it's at, at the bottom of Ohio, on the right side along the Ohio River, that's where he was born. Nelson worked on the farm until he was 16 years old. That was the year his mother died. He had an older brother, Byron, at home, and five other siblings had died. He attended Ohio University for a year, taught school one winter. In 1856, at the age of 18, he started west on foot with $36 in his pocket. He made his way to Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, along the western shore of the Missouri River. He worked around the area for two or three years, cutting post and post rails, firewood. He contracted that work out, and uh, then he delivered the product with his uh, wagons and ox team. He uh, was an enterprising young man who took uh, the wood profits and purchased some small bunch of steers. And he broke the steers, uh, the plow ground. And then when he was done plowing the ground, he had uh, uh, these animals that he could pull wagons with or pull a plow. He then began, uh, he bought some condemned uh, government freight wagons. They already had condemned things in 1856. Uh, he bought these at Fort Leavenworth. He loaded them with uh, uh, dry goods and groceries and made trips to the tiny hamlet of Denver. He made this trip several times, uh, selling his goods and returning for more. At age of 21, he settled in Denver. And he built the third sluice box in Colorado for washing. Oh, okay, thank you. Is it on? It is? No, no, no. It's gone. It's not working. You're right. It's not. Let me get it. Okay. <laughs> I thought maybe it was just me. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, in 1862, he went back to uh, Fort Leavenworth and married Ellen Trent. Uh, Ellen had been born in Missouri in 1844, and uh, they started their married life. In the spring of 1863, Nelson, oh, just a minute. I, this is my first PowerPoint, so this is Nelson as a young man. And uh, he, his uh, beard and hair turned white at a young age, so this is probably a picture uh, that was done in about the 1870s. Uh, in the spring of 63, Nelson and Ellen left for the gold mines in Bannock, Idaho, arriving June 4, 1863. One day, uh, this was about close to when uh, gold was discovered in Alder Gulch, which was 75 miles to the east. The stories had two wagons, one yoke of cows, one yoke of oxen, 11 burros, and a saddle horse. Nelson immediately left for uh, 
the alder gulch with his burrows and started freighting stuff in the area. Within 30 days, there was about 10,000 people in Alder Gulch, and Alder Gulch ran for about 11, 12 miles in that valley. Many of you, I'm sure, have been there. Ellen was quickly brought over from Bannock, and she had that little store, and uh, she made uh, pastries and pies to sell to the miners. The vigilantes, Nelson is said to have some experience with the vigilantes, and this is a... Uh, two-hour lecture in itself, but he was given credit for pulling the box out from under George Ives in Virginia City. Uh, when he moved to Alder Gulch, they went up up the creek from, Alder, from Virginia City and settled in a place called Summit, which is a couple miles above the, uh, uh, the town of Virginia City. And uh, he built a cabin up there very close to uh, two mining claims, and he bought a claim right in the middle, and uh, that's where his mine was. He had 55 men working this claim and took out about $30,000 in gold dust, uh, and Nelson was 28 years old. He then took the gold. He uh, went to Salt Lake City, got in the train, went to New York City, and this is early in the spring, went to New York City, uh, traded the gold dust, for $40,000 in greenbacks. Uh, the gold dust was worth a lot of money then during the Civil War. Uh, th they were looking for gold at that time. So he, uh, then he took the $10,000 in greenbacks uh, and he went to, worked his way to Fort Worth, Texas and he bought uh, approximately a thousand head of uh, animals uh, at $10 a piece. And there's no definitive number of animals that all agree on. Uh, it said anywhere from 250 to 3,000, but he has been quoted as telling his son, uh, Thomas Byron, several times that the number was 1,000. He headed north with the cattle till he hit the Kansas border, and he ran into uh, trouble with the Jayhawkers, and uh, they forced him to go uh, farther west until he got to an area that was unguarded, and then he turned north, northeast, and went to the Kansas City area, uh, got some wagons and some freight, and then he turned, uh, went farther north past Leavenworth and the Platte River, and he headed west up the Platte River. Um, and one of the reasons he followed the river, so he had water for his cattle all the time. Grass was not a problem, because this was one of the first herd coming north, Later, as many herds were coming out of this area, uh, they ran into trouble with grass, especially later in the summer, which forced the uh, livestock into areas that the uh, drivers really didn't want to take them. Joining the Story Cattle Drive and uh, roughly 12 freight wagons hauling goods to start a store in the Galton Valley was a guy by the name of John Catlin. He was a former major in the Union Army. Major Catlin, let me, uh, this is the, this is the uh, area here, came up this area here, and uh, here's Fort Fetterman, and this is where they left the Oregon Trail, and started up, here's Fort Reno, Fort Phil Kearney, this is the Bighorn Mountains, and they worked their way up into the Yellowstone Valley, and this is where the Bridger cutoff was over on this side of the mountains. 
that they were following the Bozeman Trail. This uh, Major Catlin recounted the remembrances uh, he had to Dean A.L. Stone of the University of Montana while living in Missoula in January of 1912. Catlin observed that Nelson's story was full of self-confidence and had a bold attitude. He was calculating, daring, and fearless. These attributes would serve them in well as they headed north into the Sioux Indian Territory. At first, uh, at Fort Phil Kearney, they'd had a They'd had a skirmish uh, south of uh, Fort Reno, and uh, they got their livestock back. And uh, as they got to Fort Phil Kearney, uh, Colonel Carrington ordered them to stop and uh, because of the Indians farther to the north, and he wanted them to camp about three miles from the fort. And the reason he wanted them there is he didn't want this herd eating up the grass around the fort they needed for their animals. Well, Nelson's story stayed there for about two weeks. And he finally got restless and he took a vote of his crew and they all voted to proceed forward except for one. And uh, they kept a watch over him uh, so he couldn't go to the fort. And they left during the middle of the night and by morning they were far enough away that the soldiers didn't want to follow him and bring him back. And then they told the person who voted against leaving that he could leave any time and he could go back. <laughs> And he decided to stay with them. <laughs> Traveling by night and resting by day, the party was attacked a few more times. And as they entered into the Bighorn country, the attack ceased. They crossed the Bighorn and they crossed the Clark Fork. And the story proceeded up, to the, up the Yellowstone. And they crossed the Yellowstone and went up the north side of the river until they got above where the Shields River drops in. And uh, they had a cow camp where the present site of Livingston is. Livingston is and uh, Nelson's story left the cattle under uh, the guidance of his cow boss, a guy by the name of Tommy Thompson. And uh, Thompson then, uh, story then went on to Bozeman, arriving in Bozeman on December 4th, 1866. This herd was the first one and the last one to use the Bozeman Trail simply because of all the Sioux Indian trouble and the U.S. government in August of 1868 was forced to abandon Fort Phil Kearney, Fort Reno, Fort uh, uh, C.F. Smith and, and uh, abandon the region to the Indians. In the late 70s other routes of travel were opened into the area. Continuing on with the livestock enterprise, Story amassed a herd of close to 17,000 head and uh, that was just before the extreme winter of 1886-1887. Story also trailed horses from California and amassed a herd of about a thousand head. In 1888 and 89, Nelson Story sold his herd to a neighbor, or excuse me, a nephew, a man by the name of Walter Story, that lived in the uh, 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 Park City area. And during this time, he also sold his horses. Money from these sales was used to buy lots in downtown Los Angeles. He also built the Story Mansion in Bozeman. Not all the, all the Story money came from the sale of these cattle. Okay, his businesses. Of course, he had the store at, at uh, Summit uh, in Alder Gulch. 
and uh, he freighted with his mules. And when he came back to uh, Bozeman in 66, he brought goods to start a grocery and a hardware store. And this store was on the northeast corner of Maine and Tracy in downtown Bozeman. It was directly across from the home he built in 1869, which I'll get to in a minute. He supplied Fort Ellis from 1867 to 1886. And Fort Ellis was another whole presentation. Uh, and he supplied the Indian agencies in the Yellowstone Valley. And there's stories about some of the things that Story was to have done, double sacking wheat and selling inferior meats. And <clears throat> but anyway, that's, that's another uh, story. He raised cattle on the Yellowstone River from Yellowstone National Park to Billings. And this is where the 17,000 head were. And when he needed to market some of his cattle, they trailed them to Cheyenne, Wyoming, and they were put on the train there. This was before 1883 when the train got into this area. In 1870 and 1880, in that time period, General Wilson and Nelson Story had a private bank. Story bought Wilson out in 1880, and then he had his own private bank. And Peter Koch worked for him till about 1882. He built uh, the Story Block. Let's, uh, well, let's, uh, he built the Story Block in downtown, he, uh, which he rented out. He uh, started the Galton Valley National Bank, which underwent voluntary liquidation in 1893. Story and Dr. Lammy built a steamboat that ran from Livingston downriver to the, to the mouth of the Yellowstone where it joined the Missouri. It foundered in the Wolf Rapids in eastern Montana territory. The bell from this boat hung in the belfry of the first public school in Bozeman. On November 17, 1876, Nelson Story wrote a letter to Tommy Thompson from uh, Washington, when he was in Washington, D.C., and he said, the steamboat did bully last year better than all the damn Indian contracts I ever knew. So the steamboat uh, was an economic success until it sank. Uh, the first school that was built was poorly built, and Nelson Story, at his own expense, put timbers around the base and ran steel rods or iron rods uh, underneath the first floor and bolted the building together so it wouldn't fall down. He donated the 40-acre site for the college, donated the eastern half of the land for Cooper Park. Walter Cooper gave the other half. He had Reynolds and Bozeman in the late 1800s that were bringing in $1,000 a month. He donated money to the churches, even though he was not a religious man, and he loaned the money to the Methodists to build their church. The Story Hills on the northeast part of Bozeman, brought in, he bought that in, in uh, 1870, and that's this area east of Bozeman, uh, the big hills out there, and uh, that was sold to a developer by the family in 1974, and the money was used to consolidate their holdings in the Paradise Valley uh, by immigrant at their uh, ranch over there. Now the flour mill was started in 1882. See a granary off to the left. This is a little bit later. A granary's been added to the right, and you can see a ladder going up the middle, clear to the peak, another one on the right, 
and uh, I suspicion those were for uh, people to be able to get out of the building in case of fire, possibly. Uh, and the water was, uh, it was powered by water up until the 1950s, and the uh, water was brought along the hill and uh, from both sides, from up uh, Bridger Canyon way and from Rocky Creek uh, along the interstate uh, going east of town. That's how that was powered with water. This is a little bit later. Uh, you notice a rail car with lumber and there's another a rail car in front of it, an enclosed one. He had uh, Northern Pacific brought a spur over there and then he had the Milwaukee Railroad bring a spur by there and it went up north up in the Dry Creek area by Menard. And uh, so you see it was starting to get fairly developed there. And then uh, this was uh, August 27th, 1901. The fire destroyed the business. Well, North Nelson Story and a few others went together and they bought the Bozeman Milling Company and then they rebuilt this facility. And this shows uh, some of the reconstruction and facility they had there. And the first year after, uh, with the Bozeman Milling Company, the first year they made $75,000 and the second, <coughs> second year they made $85,000. So it was a good business. The business was sold June 19th, 1919. He also had a flower and feed business in Butte and he bought land in downtown LA. This is the story block uh, on Main Street. This is the building he built in LA. He bought the property at the corner of 6th and Broadway. It's 120 feet wide and 150 feet deep. And you see six sections on the front. On the side, there's eight sections and uh, 12 stories tall and uh, this is a recent picture one a couple of years ago shows a big sign across the front they've taken that off and they uh, are redoing that there's a phone number on that sign they called the number and a lady with a foreign accent answered the phone and i told her what i was doing <clears throat> and i wanted to know how many offices were in there and how much rent was and this kind of stuff. Well, they wouldn't tell me. <laughs> so, I never did find out. But I do know that during the heydays, the, the Story family had 600 office rentals in downtown Los Angeles. 600 rentals in downtown LA. Uh, Nelson bought this piece of ground in 95 when his youngest son, Walter, was 14 uh, in 1897, Nelson gifted the lot to his son. And, uh, and then there's another story about that. Um, uh, Nelson had somehow kept some ownership of it, and Walter had to take him to court. And anyway, that's another lecture. Uh, in 1906, Nelson wrote a letter to his son stating, let's hold off on building the building until we find out what happened in San Francisco. And the letter was dated shortly after the April 18th earthquake. So they were saying, well, hold, let's hold up here on the kind of building we're going to build. This building was started. It cost a million dollars to build it in April of 1908. 
half of the money was borrowed from his father and the rest from banks. It was completed in 1910. It's 12 stories tall and was considered the most beautiful building in Los Angeles at that time. It still stands to this day and is known as the New Story Building. Nelson Story also built an impressive home on Adams Street and he and Ellen would winter in LA. Nelson was involved in real estate in LA from 1890 till 1910 when he retired. Now we'll talk about his homes in Bozeman. Okay, this is um, the home that Nelson lived in, uh, in in Bozeman. It was built at the corner of Maine and Templer, and Templer uh, is now called Tracy, and this building originally sat on the site where the uh, Masonic Hall is. And um, they built this home, lived in it for 18 years, and they moved out of this house in 1888 to move to their new home located at 412 West Main. Uh, in 1890, the this house was turned around uh, from Main Street and moved across the alley to the south to the northeast corner of Tracy and Babcock to make way for the big building that's there on the corner of Main. It remained there until 1914 when the post office was built on that site at the corner of Tracy and Babcock. And that's the site now where the HRDC office is. They're in the old post office. The house was then moved to 322 Mendenhall and is located across the alley from the museum. So if you go, uh, the, uh, behind the courthouse is a big parking lot. This is the first building to the west of the parking lot. <coughs> and uh, it's used as a Wells Fargo uh, finance office. And uh, they, it's considered the first frame house built in Bozeman. And then he started his mansion. He saw some pictures of that this morning in uh, Miss Kramer's uh, presentation. This is the building they built. It was three stories with a full basement. The building was 50 by 50, 50 feet, 52 feet high for around 10,000 square feet. It was on the land that fronted Main Street 290 feet and it was 276 feet in depth. It was located between 4th and 5th, and 4th Street was abandoned in 1910. The property was fenced, the yard was not, not mowed, and Ellen kept a couple of cows <laughs> to keep the grass trimmed down. Now you talk to the, you read about the story, the younger story boys, uh, Nelson's grandsons, they had to mow uh, the story home up on uh, Wilson, they mowed that with hand mowers. The two boys did. This one, the mother was, she had her own cows. The three-story three building had 17 rooms, a large chandelier with crystal pendants welcomed guests, doors were eight feet, and the ceilings were 16 feet tall. The main floor had two bedrooms, a bath, two kitchens, two sitting rooms, a large entry, and a waiting room. The second and third floor, uh, both had two bad bedrooms, two bathrooms, two sitting rooms, and a large hallway. The attic contained a reservoir for the water storage from the frog pond on campus. 
They had uh, two marble fireplaces on the first floor and second floor, which were used to heat the home. And later they put in a uh, heating system, uh, steam heat. It had gas chandeliers throughout the home. It had a bell system in each room for summoning and maid service. And it was carpet throughout the home and the flooring was hardwood. Woodwork on the main floor was mahogany. Upper floor was oak. The exterior had red brick dipped in stale beer to preserve their color. It had a copper roof and sandstone was also used. It cost $120,000 to build. This is a view from kind of the southeast. I suspicion the shadow is uh, part of the new, uh, newer high school. This is an interesting picture. The Catholic Church in 1908, the high school, which uh, those of you who were at the museum last night, it was across the street. They're converting that into high-end condos, $600,000 dollars $800,000. And then uh, the story matching in the background. If you notice a flagpole out in front of the school. Here's another picture. We've got two pictures of the same thing at the museum. This is a postcard. You notice there's no flagpole in the corner in front of those people. Well, the second picture is an identical picture with the people, the same people, and the flagpole's in it, and there's another pole off to the left. So in the early 1900s, they were already photoshopping. <laughs> they took the poles out. Uh, like I say, it cost 120000 which is uh, $3 million in today's dollars, about $300 per square foot, which is about the same as some of these homes being built today. Furniture alone would have cost $100,000. When Nelson Story died in 1925, the house went to his son, Thomas Byron. Martha Drysdale, the daughter of TB's son Malcolm, said in a newspaper interview that during the Depression years, the operation of the home was just too much, and TB made the decision to sell it. The Bozeman School District bought the property for $20,000 in 1938 to expand the high school. And the high school did not occupy the ground the school was being built on, but the house was casting a shadow on the school, so some of the classrooms didn't have very good light. That's why they tore the house down. How would that go today, Courtney? Wouldn't fly, would it? No. A guy was uh, uh, contracted to tear it down, and uh, he did it for nothing because he got to keep all the materials. Uh, there was great support to save the home for a museum. But that effort was all for naught. This is Nelson's story in his later days. Mrs. T.B. Story wrote a letter to her son, stated that Nelson is a very complicated character. <laughs> he was utterly ruthless when mad and at such time always on the defensive and attacking the offender with any weapon at hand. Nelson was not a profane man. Strongest expletive when not mad was, good Lord. When he lost his temper and was in a towering rage, then it was a completely different story. Um, some of this information comes from letters written by Thomas Byron's story <clears throat> to his son Byron. 
Nelson story and Joseph Lindley was the most uh, extended feud. Lindley owned some land where the ice pond was and uh, Story sent some people up there to cut down some of his cottonwood trees, dam the creek, sourdough, so the water would go into Mill Creek so he had water to run his mill. Well, of course, Lindley uh, was upset and he had a blacksmith make a bomb to blow this dam out. The bomb didn't work and Story found it, so he took it to his uh, the feed uh, office on Main Street and chained it to a telephone pole and then Lindley would uh, send threatening letters to Story. Story would take them out and post them on a bulletin board. He put on the same pole. Then Lindley would walk by and see these letters and Nelson Story would throw water out the window on him. <laughs> well this thing escalated time after time and uh, it progressed to this to a situation where Nelson Story uh, took Lindley to court and tried to get him committed for insanity. Well, <laughs> Lindley uh, uh, beat that case. And another time, Nelson hit Lindley over the head with a six-shooter, chased him across the street, and he went into the Phillips bookstore and escaped out the back door, and someone had shut the door on uh, uh, Nelson. He couldn't get in. So he escaped at that point. And then Story had him arrested for blackmail. And uh, Lindley blackened and reddened his bruises and had a picture taken uh, at Schlechting's for evidence. <laughs> well, Lindley was fined guilty and fined $500 and spent six days in jail and then left town. And uh, this went on from 1897 to 1907. Well, there's more to the story. It turned out that Lindley had borrowed some money from Nelson's story to buy a couple houses. The mortgages were held by Nelson, and the houses were used for bordellos. So Lindley would go to the houses to collect his rent, and the girls would invite him in. They'd braid uh, ribbons in his beard, and they'd ply him with whiskey. And by the time he left, he owed the girls more money than what they owed him. So, he didn't have any money to pay Nelson his rent. So, Nelson took him to court finally and uh, ended up getting these houses and uh, because uh, Lindley couldn't pay him and uh, fixed them up, put a few new windows in, put new curtains, did some painting and doubled the rent. And uh, anyway, that's why Nelson's story owned two bordellos in Bozeman for a period of time. Story was accused of caning a Dr. Foster over an issue. Foster sued, and the rumor was that the settlement was enough to uh, foster to build a uh, hospital or a sanitarium-type facility. Uh, son Thomas Byron told Nelson one time that he was wrong. Nelson picked up a brick and threw it as hard as he could, and if TB hadn't been ducking off his horse on the backside, <coughs> he'd have probably gotten hit and been seriously hurt. Story also had some compassion. He shot a claim jumper in the hand and gave him $5 a month the rest of his life. He buried and put a tombstone on the grave of John Bozeman. He erected a marble slab in memory of Henry Comstock. 
the discoverer of the famous Comstock Lode in California. Uh, Mr. Comstock is buried here in the Bozeman Cemetery. He uh, put up a monument at the Immigrant Cemetery for Frank Mounts, who came with him from Tex <coughs> excuse me, Texas with the cattle. Why? Because stories said Frank was the bravest man he ever saw. Time and again, he took care of his friends. This uh, early, this was the original busiest corner in Bozeman. Was the corner of Rouse and Main, the Bozeman Hotel on the right. On the left was the Opera House, City Hall, and uh, Firehouse. And on the near right was uh, the Tilton Building, which was torn down so they could build a new City Hall, and they could tear down the Opera House. This is an interesting picture. Uh, this was taken in front of their house in 1914. Uh, Mr. Pemberton was on the, uh, in the back, was on the uh, Supreme Court. Comrade Coors was a, a well-known cattleman. Thomas McGurl was a, uh, I think was a man from the Yellowstone Valley. Frank Woody, Martin McGinnis uh, was a politician. Byron Story, Nelson's brother, the older brother, Nelson, his wife, uh, Ellen, and Fred Bartlett, and the guy on the front right, Granville Stewart. And at that time, he was living in Butte and uh, had a long history as a cattleman. And I just thought that was an interesting uh, picture with uh, Montana historical characters in it. This is a family picture taken in 1918, Walter the youngest. On the back left, Nelson Bud Story in the middle. Uh, at one point in the 20s was Lieutenant Governor Thomas Byron Story. Uh, Walter uh, took care of the stuff in LA. <coughs> um, and Nelson Sr. in front. And that's a picture of Ellen Trent Story, um, who died in 1923. All the families buried out here in the uh, Bozeman Cemetery, except Walter. Uh, he's buried in... Uh, LA. And that's uh, some information about Nelson's story.